So today we are talking to Jacob Peters, who is the director of operations for the Bayou District Foundation. The Bayou District Foundation was founded just a few years after Hurricane Katrina, and it was very much inspired by the revitalization of the East Lake neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. So it is very easy and safe to say that without the Biodistrict Foundation, there would not be a purpose-built communities because this is this is the community that demonstrated not just to us, but really to the community development fields in the world that you could take an intentional approach with housing, education, community health and wellness, and really revitalize a community. And I think that's what Columbia Park and the Biodistrict have have done so successfully and they have stuck to it. They have built something really special and they and they continue to work just as hard today as, as they did on day one. I think that's the theme that you'll hear come out in the interview. Um, so with that, let's uh, hear what Jacob Peters has to say about how the Bayou District is faring during the pandemic. Jacob, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you work, your city, your neighborhood, and a brief overview of the Bayou District Foundation. So my name is uh, Jacob Peters. I work for the Bayou District Foundation here in New Orleans. I'm the Director of Operations, and we are the nonprofit community development partner, also known as the community quarterback for Columbia Park. Columbia Park is the 685 mixed income housing units anchored by two schools, community health clinic, and a grocery retail site. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys form? Because we find ourselves in a crisis right now, and the Bayou District Foundation emerged out of another crisis that was not just specific to New Orleans, but it was a natural disaster in Hurricane Katrina. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how the organization emerged out of that moment and, and, and how it informed your thinking going into this pandemic. So as you referenced, coming out of Hurricane Katrina, uh, the three founders of the Bayou District Foundation, Jerry Bruce, Mike Rodriguez, and Gary Solomon, uh, sort of looked around New Orleans and thought, where could they have the most impact? Uh, they all were philanthropic in their own right uh, across the community. And they were contacted by a friend in Atlanta asking if they would come and, and take a look at Eastlake. They all knew each other. Uh, they didn't know what they were getting into when they got to Atlanta, but they met Tom Cousins and Carol Naughton and were blown away by what Eastlake uh, represented and how it was not just a scattered site opportunity. It was intentional and place-based and allowed for them to realize how this all could be incorporated into New Orleans. So coming back on the plane, Jerry likes to say he drew the short straw and became the Bayou District Foundation chairman. The foundation responded to an RFP through HUD for the St. Bernard Housing Development Site adjacent to City Park in New Orleans. And out of that RFP, Bayou District partnered with Columbia Residential and the Housing Authority in New Orleans to produce Columbia Park, the master plan community based off of Eastlake. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what, what it's been like at Columbia Park, say the last two years. I know you guys have had, you made a lot of progress quickly 
uh, relatively speaking. Complete in Columbia Park, I guess the first phase back in 2010. And you've had a number of successes, not just in housing, but in, in education with uh, the founding of Educare several years ago, and now bringing Kip Believe to Columbia Park's campus, as well as a, a federally qualified health clinic. And I know there are plans for a, a grocery store right now. So what, what, what has it been like at Columbia Park the last couple of years? What has it been like for residents? What is the, what is the mood been like? Columbia Park over the last two years has been phenomenal, frankly, with pieces coming into place that allowed for that place-based redevelopment model to really take hold. We had the housing in place. We layered in Educare in 2013, which was great. From Educare, we had graduates going to 37 different schools across New Orleans. By putting in place Kip Believe two years ago, it allowed us to sort of form that cradle to college education pipeline that has that transition from Educare to Kip to either Kip High Schools or McDonough 35 in the neighborhood, which really solidifies sort of the place based aspect because you can go from six weeks old at Educare to 12th grade within three blocks, which was unheard of before Hurricane Katrina. Layer in the addition of St. Thomas Health, the federally qualified health clinic, just provides that primary preventative care to the whole community. They saw about 20,000 patients last year. It's just an asset that continues to grow through partnerships with not just the schools, but other institutions in the neighborhood. You're out and about a lot, and you have a lot of strong relationships in the neighborhood. You know, what, what are some of the anecdotes that you hear from people in terms of what life is like you know, living at Columbia Park and, and sending, sending their kids to the schools? Would, would people call it a success? People find Columbia Park successful on a number of different levels. At the resident level, they're blown away, frankly, from the facilities and the biggest word we hear is convenience. Everything is so convenient and everything is held to a certain standard. And that is appreciated by all of our residents. I, I get nicely said that on a weekly ba basis. They, they are landscaping to the schools, to the health clinic, every aspect of it. They know it was done intentionally. They know it was done deliberately. They know that it, it was part of a plan and the plan has been executed. That's a big deal because in New Orleans, a lot of plans are put in place, but they aren't executed. And the execution is, is where we are very, very successful. We just got to put that grocery store in place, which should be coming this year. We, get, we hear a lot from the older residents that they, they really want it. But overall, Columbia Park used to be first on all the Hanno and HUD tours in New Orleans. Now we're last because people saw, saw a, standard a standard that, that, that was, was set, just having that expectation and the pride in place that is evident at Columbia Park. Community has, has, has felt good about where they live in, in, in Columbia Park, and you guys keep 
raising the bar um, and and setting a, a new standard for the city of New Orleans in terms of what um, a mixed income housing development can be. Then the pandemic hits and what starts going through your mind as leaders and what informs you in terms of how you should be reacting to this crisis, which unfortunately is not a new position for the Biodistrict Foundation. But what, what do you start to think as you see this pandemic coming and then lockdown? When the pandemic started, drawing on experiences from Hurricane Katrina, it was already having that plan in place. Knowing what the, the community would need or approximating what the community would need before through talking to residents, surveying our community support services, being in contact with our partners at Educare and KIPP, seeing what the community already was struggling with, and then understanding if the community was already struggling with this, it's going to be exacerbated by a pandemic. Food insecurity was a big deal. We were already dealing with a lot of that, especially at Educare, which is a Head Start Early Head Start program. Finding those supports and getting them to them quickly. A lot of other organizations had to do a survey or really needed to find the pulse of the community, but already having those relationships and already sort of understanding the immediate needs and then tackling the, the other needs going on is is where we excelled. So I'm, you know, I'm curious because, you know, in, in, in different communities, it, it, it works differently. And, and I think what you guys do really effectively and have done is you've had really strong partners from, from very early on in this initiative. And if it's not necessarily you, Jacob Peters, going out and asking people, what do you need? What you have are, are partners who are very high touch, who, in other words, are very much part of families' lives. And so, to your point, they, they really know what, what the immediate needs are for a community. And so, it sounds to me like because of those partnerships that you have, you really had a good idea of what was about to come and what the most acute needs were going to be in the community. I mean, it was, is that an accurate way to describe? kind of where Bay District Foundation sits in the ecosystem and why you were prepared in this way? That is perfect because day-to-day on the ground through our leasing staff with Columbia Residential, through our community sports services with Kingsley House, through the schools and our senior community sports services, it allowed us to have a pulse of the community and it, it allows us to have the, the pulse of the community, even though someone physically from Bayou district is not there and having those relationships and, and really trusting your partners to give you the, the correct information, which that trust has been built over years and years and years allows us to respond to things very, very, very quickly. And the partners know that, A, they can work amongst themselves, but by involving Bayou District, it opens up opportunities to really connecting them with other folks or other resources that that are floating around throughout New Orleans. The pandemic hits and and you guys jump into action as you always have. And, and, And what are the things that you've found yourself kind of doing differently? I know that 
meeting you know immediate uh, relief needs for people, pulling different funders together, providing immediate services. Could you just talk a little bit about what what that's been like over the last several months? So the immediate response was was how can we get resources to people and Bayou District acting as that community quarterback is we're really not in the direct services game, but we ended up being in the direct services game. So, I I mean, giving out backpacks full of non-perishable food items, really being there in the community, giving away items, opening up rental assistance funds, not to just what we have, but opening it up to a, a broader demographic really thinking strategically, working with our resources and partners to get people through unemployment services and, and, and really going from sort of an indirect, direct to a direct service provider, which was very, very interesting. You know, I've heard this from other network members as well. I mean, this has been a, a theme that, that keeps coming up where the community quarterback's role is traditionally thinking more about the long game. Well, you're, you're still doing that, but this, this crisis putting you into the direct service business, I'm wondering you know, if you've had time to reflect at all and think about how it might change your operations going forward. It could be that it doesn't change it at all. And when this crisis is over, it's back to business as usual. But I mean, how has it affected you know, your organization's thinking about what the future does need to look like? No, I think our organization, it just reaffirmed our belief in our model. We're a small organization. We, we make sustainable, direct partnerships with folks that provide the best service to, to people. Now, it allows us, if we brought in, we bring in the best folks and we're there to support. Now, by supporting, does it make us get into the direct services a little bit when a pandemic hits? Yes. Uh, but our partners are so well established, it allows us to really use this setup to really hit a home run. So I guess what, I, what I'm hearing is that fundamentally, the structure that you had in place feels like it's been, it's been the right one. It's positioned you well to lead and manage through this, through this crisis. And, and you think it will continue to be a good framework for y'all moving forward. I, in my opinion, I think the structure is perfect. It allows for our partners to do what they do best and allows us to support them uh, through cross-collaboration with everyone else. You have been involved not, not only in, in providing direct service support you know, through food drop-offs and, and making sure people beat the, meet their basic needs, but I know that you all have also been involved in, in trying to bridge the, the gap on the digital divide. I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and, and what those needs have been like and, and how you all have been able to work to overcome those challenges. Well, first, just, just bringing up the digital divide is a, is a big deal in, in a conversation like this. The digital divide provides an opportunity to showcase the indifference of underserved communities, frankly. It is not an equitable situation at all in how communities are laid out sometimes to where service providers provide service. Schools, this is a big deal in schools, communities across the board. Now, we're in talks with folks to to really 
explore all options for bridging that digital divide. If it's community-wide Wi-Fi to fiber networks to providing devices to folks, it is a multi-layer, multi-tiered process that a whole community is now going to have to look at going forward because this is a complex solution, which is not hard to solve, but it's going to take a lot of resources. So you, you mentioned something, and I'm wondering if we can go deeper on this for, for a minute. I know you're, you're part of the, the second cohort of equity ambassadors, and, um, and, and you, just, you just spoke to the inequities that this digital divide highlighted for you. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little more in terms of why, why the digital divide, divide is such a powerful example of, of, of racial inequities that we see in our neighborhoods, and I'm wondering if you could talk about why. The internet is such a big part of everyone's life now. And if you don't have infrastructure in a community to even provide that, the other layers of the digital divide don't even exist. And that's devices and programming. These systems are, are, are not equitably laid out on, on the front end with entire communities being circumvented because they may or may not be able to pay for the service, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and during the COVID-19 pandemic, it, with all schools transitioning to digital curriculums, you're leaving groups of people behind, which is just totally inequitable. It shouldn't be like that frankly, by, from a basic human rights point of view. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you, you're, you're confronting that on a daily basis. You're confronting the, the lack of infrastructure that your community has access to. And um, you're seeing the racial inequities in that system. All of a sudden, the murder of George Floyd galvanizes the country and, and protests on, on, on racial justice and, and police reform. What does the racial justice movement look like from, from the Bayou District? Frankly, it's, it's reaffirmed uh, because equity is Im- embedded in, in everything we do at the Bayou District Foundation. It's at the, the, the core of our work. Deliberate community development is inherently working on equity. It's, a, it's just reaffirming what we're working towards. I get the sense that the role of police in, in your neighborhood was quite different, say, before Katrina than it is now. And you guys have had a very dramatic change when it comes to public safety at the, at, at the Bayou District. And you did it not by flooding the community with police, but you did it by building a much healthier neighborhood. So I'm not necessarily asking you to go deep on feeling, people's feelings about the police, but I'm wondering if you could talk about, give us some perspective on, what, on, on, on why it's important to invest in communities in the way that you, that you have. Investing in communities 
in the purpose-built model, it allows for communities to connect to community, frankly. Columbia Park, before it was Columbia Park, was a St. Bernard housing development, and it was cut off. It was so insulated with the compounding and the monopolization of poverty in that area. There was no way out, or very few ways out. With the lowest performing schools in the Orleans Parish, servicing the, the most vulnerable population, getting out of there was extremely tough. And frankly, we connected a street grid, which physically connected the community to the, to the rest of the community. Uh, the former community was, was built around cul-de-sacs. Police were a present figure in that community because of the, three year, the four years prior to Hurricane Katrina, there were 684 felonies and 43 homicides just on those 18 city blocks. Since we've been open since 2010, accepting residents fully, fully leased up, we've had three attempted felonies. Welcoming the, the old community back into the community, embracing those folks coming back. If you're a, a resident of the former St. Bernard housing development, you still skip the waiting list 10, 15 years later and will in perpetuity. Bringing those folks back into the community, really just connecting that, having that neighborhood connection and understanding that we're investing in this community because they are valued on on every level. You know, one of the things I'm hearing from you right now is that, you know, one of the ways you all have approached equity and community health is by opening up the community. In, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think what you're saying, you mentioned the street grid. That's not a small thing. The 53 acres on which, you know, Columbia Park sits, I mean, you built how many new street connections? Nine. Right. So what was once a, an, an isolated island of poverty, really, is now integrated into the fabric of New Orleans street grid. And with the introduction of mixed income housing, You've you've introduced um, a new a new social dynamic into the neighborhood that that didn't exist previously, and and it sounds like one of the byproducts of that has been a, a, a crime rate that's you know dare I say almost non-existent. What what do you what do you attribute that to? I mean, it, it's because it, because you said you know Saint Bernard had a lot had a heavy police presence. The Bayou District does not. Columbia Park does not have a heavy police presence. What I mean, what are, what were the what were the the, the the levers that you know as people started to come back to the neighborhood as it was rebuilt? How come the crime didn't return? Crime didn't return because there was thoughtful investment into the neighborhood by investing in people and places. It allowed for a community to flourish. Not saying that that we don't have a police presence at Columbia Park, but. I believe the police are viewed differently. They just they know that they're a community asset now by residents that residents can call. That was that that's a very big deal. They can call a detailed officer at 24 hours a day if they have problems, small problems. If if they need a a, a flat tire on a car fixed, I mean, if from anything, it, it's they don't see police as a as someone coming to monitor what they're doing, it's more of a, 
they're just part of the community now. We're having this conversation now in the country about you know defunding the police or reforming the police or abolishing the police or you know different viewpoints on the subject. But I'm not asking you to say what your viewpoint on that is. What I'm asking now is what wisdom do you have to offer into that debate? What should people consider as they think about the role of police in our society and all of the other things we should be doing as a society to lift up all of our people? Through thoughtful investment, it's almost looking at it as a health topic, frankly. Preventative care will, will help you in the long run. So thoughtful early investment in children, affordable housing, and all aspects of the social determinants of health will really actually have a greater effect in the long run on that. That sounds a lot like how we talk about our relationship to poverty in this country over the years and over the decades where you could say that, you know, the many programs at the you know, government level, but also privately have been focused more on poverty relief. And, and we as a network have been focused more on getting at the root causes to, to eradicate poverty. And it sounds like there's a strong parallel between that kind of worldview and what you just laid out in terms of getting a neighborhood, introducing health into a neighborhood that you invest early on, you invest in the social determinants of health to get the kind of outcomes you want to see. Um, I mean, is that, is that a fair thing to say? I agree with that statement. You know, before we shift gears in, into looking forward, I was wondering if there's, there's anything else on, on the pandemic that, whether it's like a story you want to share about something that happened or whether it's a theme that you've seen emerge that you think is important for people to know about. The pandemic crossed all income levels. It didn't matter what color you were, how much money you made, or what neighborhood you live in. And it was evident in the direct service work that we worked on, servicing all types of people from all over New Orleans, frankly. We've given out, we partnered with an organization called Blessings in a Backpack. Uh, and we've given out 8,100 bags of non-perishable food, which are three or four days worth of food. We, we, we partnered with the city of New Orleans and the city council to do uh, place-based COVID-19 testing. It just shows that people are valued in a neighborhood, that you're willing to bring those services there. And then on top of that, we've given out or coordinated uh, around 50, it's about 55,000 meals now since the pandemic started. We're not a large organization, but we're an effective organization. And Aton, I can, I can tell you that we've given out close to 400 packs of diapers and household products and feminine hygiene products. And it, it, it's astounding how much that has an impact on people. You know, as we're, as we're looking forward and, and thinking about, you know, hopefully one day we'll be through this pandemic. We're not there yet. Obviously we're still in the thick of it, but when we get beyond providing uh, relief and, and we get into a recovery phase, what do you see as the challenges and opportunities on the horizon? I know that, that some people are going to um, have different situations with their employment. You know, the, the 
situation in the schools is going to families differently. Um, what, what, what do you think comes next? Public challenges present opportunities. And, and that has been my uh, drumbeat since the beginning of this pandemic. Challenges present those unique opportunities to either partner, become more efficient, just sort of it takes that lens and, and, and just sort of focuses it on a, a different topic or, or a different mindset because you, you saw the need, you see a bigger need, and then how it's all connected and how can you get to the root cause of all these challenges that you see in the community. Katrina allowed New Orleans to address a lot of challenges. And by addressing those challenges, opportunities came out of it with the charter school system, as an example. That wouldn't have happened without Hurricane Katrina. Columbia Park is a perfect example of a challenge that New Orleans was facing and an opportunity happened because of a disaster. It's a perfect example. But through those challenges, and you can really see some people flourish or you'll see people really lag behind. And it's really catching those people who are lagging behind and seeing if they can provide the supports and the services to really keep them going and, and keeping everyone moving forward. Are, are there particular areas that you're worried about moving forward, whether it's you know, the economy, get, getting, getting people uh, back to work, you know, or, or other things that we're not, that we're not thinking about now? other kind of unintended consequences that may, maybe you're seeing a canary in a coal mine of something that nobody else has seen. You mentioned it before, the digital divide is going to be huge in not just a local aspect at Columbia Park, but on a national scale across the United States with addressing that issue in underserved communities. It's, it's a huge opportunity for for folks to really get in, understand how that industry works and how it can become more efficient because through efficiency, there'll be scale, there'll be a, a number of, of things that could, that could work out. Would, would you say that there's kind of, um, you know, if, if you had to, to draw your lessons out of, out, of, out of this pandemic, would you say that there's kind of like a, a baseline of, of infrastructure that every community needs to provide equity for its residents. The internet's the fourth utility. That, that's how people need to look at it going forward, especially in community development and understanding that people need access to safe, affordable housing, uh, healthcare, high quality education. But on top of that is access to the internet because then they're involved in the digital economy. And that's educationally and economically. That was, that was really well put. I'm wondering if you have any kind of final thoughts or any, any sort of pearls of wisdom you have for us in terms of getting through this time or, or advice you would give to others. Advice is easy. Just keep going. It, it, it seems like people, they like to get started. They get started to get started. But getting started is the easy part. It's following through and then continuing till it's done. It, it's easy to drop off in right when you're done, finished getting started. 
and you see the immediate impact. But if you can keep going and keep going, you'll find that the, the journey is better than the start. And the finish is, is just incredible. I mean, seeing those kids start at Educare and then graduate from Educare five years later is incredible to see their growth. And then having them attend Kip Believe is, is just lanyap, frankly. And it just keeps moving forward. Sorry for using a term that you don't understand. Yeah, what was that term? Lanyap, a little extra. Man, it, I used it the other day on a call with some folks from New York. And like, I was like, oh, that's like a regional saying. <laughs> wow, yeah, I've never heard that. How do you spell it? I'll send you. I'll send it to you. Okay, that's cool. That's a little, a, it's a little extra, man. Just a, all right, a little a good, extra. Good, uh, a good piece of New Orleans vernacular and wisdom there. Oh, I can't. I forget that I use it occasionally. That's all good, man. Anything else? Uh, anything else? I, I I didn't ask, but I should have asked. Or any other thoughts you want to share with us? I mean, just reiterating that to do place-based redevelopment work with community revitalization at the heart of it. Equity is ingrained in it. You, you cannot do this work and not have a positive outlook on equity. It is firmly, firmly based in that work. That's about it. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. That was a great conversation we just had with Jacob Peters from the Bayou District Foundation. The Bayou District Foundation has been well positioned to assist all of the residents at Columbia Park during this really difficult time. And have also uh, provided us some new perspective on, on, on what kind of investments we need to make in communities to really provide a, a level playing field, to really provide equity. And, and one of the things that we heard so strongly come out of this is the importance of internet infrastructure in all and how one of the ways we can view systemic racism, how it's played out is which communities have received internet infrastructure and, and which have not. Jacob mentioned that the internet is kind of the, the fourth utility and that's really how we should look at it going forward. And uh, I thought that was right on. Um, in terms of how we should think about designing communities from here on out and what's the bare minimum. And a great internet infrastructure, if you don't have it these days, you know, you're, 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 you're failing your, your city and to, to an extent. Thanks, we, we're thankful to Jacob and, and his time and uh, all of his continued hard